Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Skip Bayless Show, episode 50, in honor of one of my all-time favorite Dallas Cowboy interviews, Dee Dee Lewis, old number 50, a blast from the glorious Dallas Cowboy past, which is now all that I have left to hang on to. But this is, as always, the un-undisputed, everything I cannot share with you during the two-and-a-half-hour debate show that is undisputed. In episode 50, I will walk you back through the minefield of emotions I suffered on Sunday night leading into a very blue Monday for me. And as always, I will answer several of your sensational questions I love this week, such as, why do I have an Anchorman poster on the wall in my house, which you may have glimpsed in Sunday night's trash can video? I'll get to that in a moment. Also, what is my favorite Lil Wayne song? He's going to play a major role in what I'm about to tell you. And finally, whether I will root for Jalen Hurts, even though he plays for the division rival I hate the most. But first up, as always, it is not to be skipped. Please allow me to open a vein and bleed for you. I still have not recovered from Sunday night. Sunday night for me was the longest, strangest, roughest night I've ever had in my cowboy-loving, cowboy-watching life. Cowboys at 49ers kicked off out here in Los Angeles about 340. And as usual, I was ready to watch with my quote-unquote daughter, Hazel, talking about our six-year-old Maltese, who was, as always, in her bed at my feet. Hazel loves watching games with me, though she mostly sleeps. But I was ready to go, and I was wearing my white number four Dallas Cowboy jersey, my Dak jersey, which had worked wonders for me, counteracting the navy blue jinx jerseys that Jerry Jones decided to wear at Tampa. So I wore my white Dak jersey to counteract and anti-jinx the jinx jersey and did it ever work at Tampa. But as this Dallas Cowboy game kicked off, and for me, as you know, it was the game, Hazel was just weirdly restless. Never seen her like this. I, I didn't tell her that this game meant more to me than any in my Cowboy watching loving history, but she just seemed to know that it did. I, I guess my energy, she sensed, was just different for this Cowboy game, which obviously was a playoff game. Now that I look back on it, 
I think that Hazel just instinctively knew something I did not. That the most important game of the year to me, maybe even the most important game of my life, was not going to go well. For the first time in her life, Hazel just couldn't get comfortable. Never seen anything like it before. Not three, four minutes into the game, she got up, she went to the closed door, and she looked back over her shoulder at me like she wanted to leave the room. And I'm like, what are you doing? What's wrong? What happened? Never seen this behavior before. I had let her out before kickoff to do her business, and she had, so that wasn't the issue. And it wasn't that I was yelling or screaming because I hadn't made a peep yet, not yet. Now I'm convinced that Hazel just sensed impending doom. I really think Hazel knows me at least as well as my wife Ernestine knows me. And I do believe that Hazel did not want to see me suffer. She just knew what was coming. So I finally gave up and I let her out the door. The door of my, I guess you could call it my man cave. It's the room, it's sort of my office bedroom during the, the weeknights because I get up at two o'clock in the morning. It's where I watch all the games. And Hazel shockingly trotted right off down the hall to find Ernestine, and I called after her, you know the jinx rules. You leave, you can't come back. But as you know, my Dallas Cowboy offense never quite took off like I predicted it would. So there was nothing really to jinx when she scratched back at the door at halftime. And I decided, who cares? I'll just let her back in. There was nothing to jinx. It didn't seem to be going my way. And she immediately hopped right back in her bed, and I thought that we were cool, but we were not. Then near the end of the third quarter, you might remember, score was still tied nine all. George Kittle happened. Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy? I lost to Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy rolled to his left. He roamed far to his left. He spied maybe his third or fourth option on the play. And he unleashed. Pass was a little long. And, of course, that showboat grandstander George Kittle turned it into the most spectacular play of the day or night. It was a one-man tip drill. Tip, 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 tip. And when George Kittle finally hauled it in for a 30-yard gain, I just couldn't help myself. I unleashed. I screamed bloody murder. I've told you before, this is just my way of venting, of releasing, of screaming the demons out of me. Up to that moment, I, I just kept thinking, we're going to do this. We're going to make one play. But now that grandstanding, showboating, goofy, front-running George Kittle had tipped the pass to himself, and they had made the first big play, and yet, my man Trevon Diggs went careening right past George Kittle without making any attempt to dislodge the football, and I let loose. They said later, well, Diggs didn't want to incur any 15-yard penalty for hitting a defenseless receiver. But I personally thought Diggs went softer than Charmin in that moment and wanted no part of a high-speed collision with a punishing tight end. 
who I guess would have hurt Diggs more than Diggs would have hurt him. But I'm like, come on, Trevon, this is it. Listen, I, I have screamed like that a hundred times, 200 times, 300 times with Hazel asleep at my feet. And she has never flinched before, never flinched. Never done anything but maybe open one eye and look up at me like, what are you doing? Never flinched. And yet, this time, as I let loose, Hazel sprang from her bed and went running into my bathroom for shelter. I'm like, what are you doing? I jumped up. I went into the bathroom where she was cowering and quivering. I tried to console her. I tried to calm her. I tried to comfort her. I tried to show her that everything was fine. It was just okay. But she knew what was happening. She knew that everything that was about to happen in this game was not okay. She just knew this game on this night would not end right. And was she ever right? This night did become the worst night of my cowboy loving life. The more I think about it, the worse it gets. The score I had predicted had San Francisco scoring 20 points. I had it 30 to 20 Cowboys. The 49ers finished with a grand total of 19 points. I was so proud of my defense all night long, except for Trevon Diggs, who not only avoided that contact, might have broken up that pass, but just a couple of plays later, he, he dropped a tipped pass, an interception that would have negated San Francisco's go-ahead 16-9 touchdown. Dropped an interception that hit him right in his ball-hawking hands. I, I realize it got redirected. He wasn't quite ready for it, but, but come on. Who saw that coming? Hazel did. She was so upset by my shriek that she wanted out of my room again. And I let her go find Ernestine again. Ernestine later told me after the game was over that Hazel came to her so upset, so needy of love and comfort that Ernestine had never seen her like that before. Who knew? So, the reason this Cowboy game meant more to me than any ever is that, as you might remember, as I've said, sitting in this seat to this microphone, I truly believe that this team had the firepower, the maturing firepower and star power to break through and at least, at least get to its first NFC Championship game in 27 years. 27 years. There were so many Super Bowl caliber displays from my team this year. Remember, 40 to three at Minnesota, 33 to nothing in the fourth quarter against the Indianapolis Colts, as bad as they were, but still 33 to nothing. 40 points we scored against Philly, 40. And then that tour de force in the first round of the playoffs at GOAT. Dak Prescott playing the game of his life with a QBR scale 0 to 100 of 97. Game of his life. I truly believe that Dak Prescott had finally turned that proverbial corner, finally had figured it out. He finally had sold me once and for all. This was it. My Cowboys were headed through San Francisco to the NFC Championship game at Philadelphia. Hey, we're just a little better than the Eagles. You know it, I know it. Just a little better. I mean, Dak scored 40 on that defense. 40! And here we were at San Francisco, and we got to play a 49ers rookie named Brock Purdy 
I watched him for four years at Iowa State because I'm an Oklahoma Sooner diehard fan. He wasn't bad. He always competed. He always battled. But hey, we led the league in turnovers, takeaway turnovers, takeaways. Led it two years in a row. This was my Dallas Cowboy defense in a divisional playoff game. As I predicted, come on, we are going to intercept him twice. We are going to strip sack him at least once, maybe twice. We got this. I'm going to say this one last time. For the first 34 years of my Cowboy fandom, that's from age 10 to 44. The Cowboys played in eight Super Bowls, won five of them, played in 16 NFC Championship games, and won eight of those, played in 49 playoff games over those 34 years. That was 18 more than any other NFL team played in that span. Think about that, 18 more. That was astonishing to me. That spoiled me rotten. That's how they became America's team. Give me Roger Staubach. I got to know him well when I covered the Cowboys. Give me Troy Aikman. I got to know him very well when I covered the Cowboys and still keep in touch with him. Would you believe that in the 27 years since Aikman's Cowboys won the franchise's last Super Bowl, my Cowboys are a grand total of 5-12 and 12 now in playoff games. 5-12. and 12. That is the worst playoff winning percentage in the entire NFL. So I went from the best to the worst. And the 12th loss in that span happened Sunday at San Francisco. For me, America's team has turned into America's tease, led by Captain Tease, Dak Prescott. Listen, I am still in shock over the way Dak Prescott played Sunday evening at San Francisco. The more I think about it, it was abominably, ignominiously awful. I actually thought Dak had some Troy in him. Was I ever wrong? I actually thought he had a little bit of Roger the Dodger in him. Captain Comeback. Was I ever painfully wrong? I honestly bought into thinking Dak had turned the corner and instead he drove me right over the cliff. As I've said on Undisputed this week, he went from that QBR of 97 to turning into my all-time favorite 60s rock and roll one-hit wonder called 96 Tears. From 97 QBR to 96 Tears. If you haven't heard it, call it up and listen to it. It's really good. It's by a group called Question Mark and the Mysterians. And that's become Dak Prescott for me. One giant question mark. I have tried and tried and tried to love Rain Dakota Prescott. And he has always, 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 always rained on my parade when I least expected it. He can be so good and so, so bad. His ceiling can be pretty high, but his floor can be scary low. So, so how can I ever buy back into the fact that he can take me places, take me to a Super Bowl, 
I, I tried so hard to get there and now I can't anymore because as I've mentioned on this podcast once before, after Dak's all-time great rookie year, remember he stepped in, started in place of the injured Tony Romo, and then he retired Tony Romo. He was so good. I thought it was the greatest rookie starting season ever, even better than RG3's in Washington. So after that season, it was early in his second season, We shot a new commercial for Undisputed one Saturday afternoon. It was featuring me raving about Dak Prescott and Shannon Sharp scoffing at me. That commercial never aired. Ezekiel Elliott got suspended. That was the same Zeke who led the NFL in yards rushing per game as a rookie, was on his way to doing it in his second year. But all of a sudden, without Zeke, that second year, Dak got exposed. Dak started looking like the fourth-round pick that he originally was. That was scary. I should have known then. It feels now like Zeke carried Dak through that rookie year. And that commercial bit the dust along with my 2017 Cowboy season. So there I sat Sunday night. I I felt like I was watching a horror movie in slow motion. That's how it felt to me. I couldn't help but conclude that Dak Prescott lost that game. I, I rarely blame one man for losing a game the way I did this one man for losing that game. But Sunday night was completely and utterly on Dak. Yes, it really hurt losing Tony Pollard before halftime. God bless him in his recovery from ankle surgery. I stand by what I said before the game. He's a little better than Christian McCaffrey is. And he was proving it until he went down. And yes, Trevon Diggs muffed that interception. That was a killer. And yes, can somebody please out there explain to me how Kevontae Turpin, the USFL MVP, got tackled by the kicker on what should have been a kickoff return for a touchdown? Please explain that. And no, 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 I will be the first to admit that my man, my oh, Micah Parsons, 11 from heaven, didn't come up quite as big as I had hoped, didn't have the impact on the game I had anticipated. I will give you all of the above. But we all know what happened. Dak Prescott literally threw that game away. Do I have to count the ways again? Okay. I'll open my vein wider and I'll bleed some more all over this paper. First interception he threw. Cost us three points that should have been seven, but the defense held. Second interception, that's in the red zone. Second and two at the 18. Cost the Cowboys three or seven points. Then on third and seven, also in the red zone from San Francisco seven, back through behind Zeke, high, wide, and too hard. Seven points became three points. And then here we go. Dak underthrew CeeDee Lamb, who'd broken free for what I thought was a touchdown. CeeDee had to backtrack, and he made a miraculous catch and got fouled and interfered with as he caught it. But that easily could have gone for seven. And then on the same series, he woefully underthrew wide left CD, who was running deep and had a step on Fred Warner, who happens to play linebacker, stuck on CD, for what could have been a touchdown. If you got it up and over and laid it out for CD to run to it, I, I think it's seven. But what do I know? And then came the final nail to my psyche's coffin. 2.56 left in the game. I'm still hanging on for dear life. Second and 10 from the Cowboy, 18. Would you believe that Michael Gallup broke open deep? Hadn't caught a pass all day. Ended up catching no passes. Because this one, Dak, so misfired that he threw wide right over the wrong shoulder, the wrong direction. 
it, it was actually Dak's worst throw of the game on the throw that could have changed the game the most. Michael Gallup's a long strider. Once he gets unfurled, unwound, he can fly. It takes him a while, but he was unwound. He was about to be unleashed. If you lead him, let him run to the football, he's a legit deep threat. He might still be running. What if that goes for a touchdown? What if with two minutes and 45 seconds left, we're going for two to win the game? I wouldn't have trusted Brett Maher to make the extra point, but I did trust him to make field goals because I kept saying he'd never missed a field goal when he went south, only the extra points. So go for two, try to win it 20 to 19. See if the defense can hang on for dear life after that. Maybe so. Come on, it's Brock Purdy. It's not Joe Montana, it's not Steve Young, it's Brock Purdy. So I'm thinking, if, if you make one throw, Dak Prescott, for your life to save my cowboy loving life, can't you make that, no, way wide right, high and outside, pathetically off target, pathetically. I, I, I just sat there shaking my head saying, why me? So do the math for me, if you will. The math is a mind-boggling brain teaser. That costs the Cowboys a maximum of 24 points on Sunday with his errant throws, and a minimum, as I just detailed, of 12 points. So the final score was 19 to 12, so 12 plus 12 is 24. I, I think we win. near the end of the game, Dak threw a ball that should have been pick six. That, that's how bad it got, but I, I, I'm not even counting that one. How could the, the game end so shamefully? What was the last play of the game? That, that was ultimate for me, insult to injury. Zeke snapping the ball, getting dump trucked as he snapped, Dak throwing to Kevante Turpin, who had caught one pass all season, one pass all season, then Dak breaking to run toward Cavante Turpin to get the lateral to start the lateral play, but, but Turpin got dump trucked by Jimmy Ward as he caught the ball. Insult to injury. America's tease. I just sat there, dumbfounded, thunderstruck, devastated, psychologically obliterated we easily could have won that game easily and it wasn't a bad call game it wasn't Des caught it it wasn't anything like that there were no bad calls it wasn't Dak running out the clock and they couldn't get the ball spotted for one last mini Hail Mary into the end zone like last year We did not win because Dak Prescott simply is not that guy. That's when it hit me. I'm finally done with Dak Prescott once and for all. It is time, as I've said on Undisputed, to move on from him, to trade him, to replace him, to either trade for a starting quarterback I'll get to that in a moment. Or find some kid that you hope turns into Brock Purdy. They did it. Why can't we? I just watched Dak Prescott lose back-to-back -back playoff games to Jimmy G and Brock Purdy. Help me out. What's wrong with that picture? That's it. I'm done. I got through Undisputed Monday morning. It wasn't until the afternoon that I got a text from my brother, Lil Wayne. He wrote to me, 
Man, I was giving you some time to breathe after the L, brudda, like B-R-U-D-D-A, brudda. Trust me, said Lil Wayne in the text, I know it hurt, no in all caps. Then he went into a classic, deeper than the Pacific Ocean, Wayne theory. Wayne predicted in that text to me that Dak Prescott will experience such negativity this offseason from media and fans that it will turn him into, and I quote Lil Wayne, an absolute monster, quote unquote, next year. That he will be driven, like all the great ones are, by a new chip on his shoulder and that he will become, and I quote from Wayne's text, a bad, bad man, quote, unquote. I texted right back. I greatly appreciated this sort of metallic silver lining, if you will, this heartfelt attempt by Wayne to console me. And then, as we often do, we began to fire text back and forth. You know, I, I think that we communicate even better texting than by phone or face-to-face when Ernstine and I go out to visit Wayne, which we're going to do in a couple of weeks after the Super Bowl. Wayne obviously is an all-time great wordsmith, a gifted lyricist, and I'm a pretty decent writer myself, so maybe... We express ourselves better with the written word than the spoken word, maybe. Wayne texted that he will acknowledge that he got the feeling from Jerry in his post-game interview after the game that Jerry, like me, had had enough of that. So I responded in text with this quote. Maybe Jerry would take two years of Aaron and trade you two somewhat cheaper years of Dak. I remind you that Wayne, of course, made it clear as broken glass in a tweet earlier this season that he was as done with Aaron Rodgers as I am now with Dak. Remember, it was after the Detroit game at Detroit, the Green Bay loss at Detroit, in which Aaron had thrown those two mind-blowing interceptions, that's when Wayne tweeted, and I quote, RIP to the season. We should have gotten rid of 12 before the season. End of tweet. So Wayne texted right back to me on Monday. He would love to have Dak for Aaron. The truth is that the cap hits for both of them are pretty much the same for next year, so it's a trade that I'm pretty sure would work. Maybe that's over my head, but I think it would work. And then, by the way, Aaron said the other day that he would now be willing for the first time ever to take maybe not a pay cut, but some rearranging of money to benefit a team salary cap, and I think he was trying to make himself a little more viable for trade. Jerry, you listening? So Monday, I texted right back to Wayne, deal with an exclamation point. And I continued, maybe the most notorious cowboy killer wouldn't kill us if he were our quarterback for his final two years. Again, I remind you, Aaron Rodgers is 8-2 lifetime versus my Cowboys, 2-0 in playoff games versus my Cowboys. And as I said on this podcast, ahead of the Cowboys at Green Bay game this year, when, by the way, we blew a 28-14 lead through three quarters and lost in overtime, I told you, I first guessed it, Aaron Rodgers is our Count Dracula. He swoops in under cover of darkness 
and sucks the life of us, out of us on a consistent basis. And by the way, that game at Lambeau this season, you realize Dak had the ball four times in the fourth quarter in overtime and managed to score zero points. Not that guy should have known. Now, you also might recall that dating back to, I don't know, 2007, my days on first take, I was the first in the national media to call out Aaron Rodgers as the all-time blame-deflecting, finger-pointing, media-manipulating diva. Aaron used to fire back at me for a while, but he doesn't anymore because I'm pretty sure I've been proven right about that, and he knows I have been right for lo these many years about that. Also, for many years, I've called him out for his playoff choking, and I have been right. He's 7-9 postseason since that long ago, far away, Galaxy, far, far away Super Bowl. Remember that road wild card run to his one and only Super Bowl? He won the MVP. I give it up. I give you that. But, of course, do I need to remind you? Had the number one seed coming off MVP in 2020, lost at home in the NFC Championship game, the first one of his career to Tom Brady and the Buccaneers, had the MVP and the number one seed in 2021, lost the first playoff game, the divisional round, to Jimmy G at home. This season he lost the equivalent of a home playoff game to Jared Goff and the Lions. So now you ask, I want Aaron Bleepin' Rodgers to replace Dak Prescott. You better believe I do. That's how done I am with Dak Prescott. Green Bay can have Dak. Lou Wayne can have Dak. Even though he's 29 to Aaron's 39, I don't care. I would take Aaron Rodgers at 39 and 40 and hope he could recapture a large portion of his MVP dominance with a late career change of scenery, like Peyton going to Denver, like Brady going to Tampa. Why not? He'd be throwing to CD, he'd be handing, I hope, and flipping to Tony Pollard. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is still a trick shot artist to me. And by the way, he's actually won something before. He, he did that. He actually won that Super Bowl Dak has won next to nothing. He's now two and four in the postseason. And three of those four losses came in divisional round games. One step short, hitting his head on his ceiling short of an NFC championship game. So you can accuse Wayne and me of playing fantasy football, but I, I don't think so. This deal makes sense to me, and I hope it makes sense to Jerry Jones because it's time to do something desperately dramatic. It's time to move on from Dak, get out from under Dak, just the way Green Bay clearly wants to get out from under Aaron. We'll trade problem for problem. We'll start over with Aaron for two years, and we need to go find a kid quarterback, some Brock Purdy, maybe it's in the Second round, third round, fourth round, I don't know. Somebody to start to groom to replace Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what if he has a career rebirth? What if he wants to go until he's 43 or 4 like Brady does? I, I wouldn't put it past him. So my concluding text to Wayne was, and I quote, Packer Dak versus our Aaron in next year's NFC Championship game. Wayne hit that with the two exclamation mark emoji, the two exclamation points. And then he texted, I would love that. So would I. But look, I'll be the first to acknowledge I'm still pretty raw from Sunday night. Maybe I'm not thinking straight. Maybe I'm now so desperate, I'm now so lost that I, I actually have talked myself into a guy I can't stand, Aaron Bleepin. 
So as I scripted this out, these thoughts, it was very late Tuesday night. Clippers had just finished demolishing LeBron and the Lakers, even though LeBron was sensational. But Hazel was fast asleep in her bed at my feet, as serene as she could be. For her, the storm had passed. For me, it rages on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let's get to your question, shall we? This is Jeremy from Anaheim. Did you sleep on Sunday night? Interesting question, Jeremy. One thing you should know about me, I barely sleep at all, especially at night. I often get maybe four hours. Sunday night, I managed three hours. But I am blessed this way. When I do get in bed and I do turn out the lights, I can fall instantly to sleep, no matter how awful a loss I just suffered. And by the way, that loss was so awful for me that when I did turn out the lights, I was mentally and emotionally shot. I was spent. I was exhausted. I slept hard for three hours. But when I woke up, Monday morning out here, 2 a.m. L.A. time. My first flash was, wait. I dreamed that the Cowboys just lost. And then the reality hit me like the earthquake that we experienced out here in L.A. on Wednesday morning about 2 a.m. The reality that the clock had started ticking on me having to face the king of cowboy haters, Shannon Sharp, on live national TV at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time. Dre from Los Angeles. Now what do you do with the cowboy season over? (laughs) I mean, Dre, please understand, my life will go on with or without Dak Prescott. It's just that it won't go on with ultimate undisputed bragging rights that I so dreamed of. It will go on knowing that my Super Bowl window might be slamming shut. We're going to lose a lot of free agents. I don't know how Tony Pollard's going to bounce back from his surgery. Cowboys are strapped against the cap. I don't love it going into next year. Not like I loved this year or even the year before. But who knows? Maybe the Cowboys will trade for Aaron Rodgers. Maybe that will feed the insatiable beast that is a a two-and-a-half-hour daily debate show and help us make it through the night that is the offseason. But obviously... We love the NBA. We still have LeBron playing at the highest level at age 38. We still have Steph. We still have Embiid, who should be the MVP. We still have Kawhi. I'm still picking the Clippers over the Sixers to win it all. We still have Jason Tatum. I'm trying to love him because he's such a great kid. Still not sure. 
I still have Clippers over Sixers in the finals. But I will admit to you this. My life actually does get much easier after football season ends. I love football season, but I hate what it does to my life and my wife. Football season is truly, literally, seven days a week. Saturday, for me, is college football, wall to wall, morning to night. Sunday, of course, is all NFL all the time. Then there's Monday night football and Thursday night football, and you know what kind of football. Then college ends, and the NFL jumps in and plays on so many Saturdays. It's seven days a week, relentlessly grinding and exhausting for me, even though I love it with all my heart and soul. I live for it, but it wears me out. Post-football season, I can actually play a little golf. Post-football, I can actually hang out on Saturdays with Ernestine and with Hazel, which is my greatest joy in life. This is Stefan from Glendale, California. Hmm. What's your favorite Lil Wayne song other than the Undisputed theme? A very good question. Look, I, I'm going to say it again. My number one favorite is the Undisputed theme, No Mercy. You hear it every morning. It is the greatest theme song ever. Wayne keeps telling me I'm going to top it. And I say, I dare you, and he hasn't yet. Maybe he will. But the lyrics of No Mercy absolutely nail the essence of our show. Those lyrics sprang straight from his heart because he is our number one fan. He does not miss Undisputed, I know, because he texts me constantly during breaks or after the show. By the way, Snoop once told me when he made an appearance in studio with us, that, that he does consider Wayne's No Mercy one of Wayne's greatest, if not the greatest. That's what Snoop told me. But I will tell you this. My other two Wayne favorites came from Dak Carter 3, which dropped in, I think, July of 2008. And it was right around the time I was getting to know Wayne and clicking and bonding with Wayne. So number one on my list, other than the undisputed theme, is the Millie, which every time I hear it, it gets a hold of my psyche and it won't stop playing in my psyche because of the rhythm it establishes pounding on your psyche. And number two, if you will, is Lollipop, which obviously Wayne did with Ye. A Millie has a Millie great lines in it, and Lollipop is, well, it's just Lollipop. It is powerfully rare. I'm not endorsing the concept of Lollipop, just the art, just the creativity, and the delivery. Vintage Wayne. This is Mo from Charlotte, North Carolina. Why do you have an Anchorman poster in your house? <laughs> Funny question. I'm sure some of you, maybe many of you, saw the Anchorman poster on the wall as fed up with Dak. I fired Dak's jersey into the trash late Sunday night. Just for the record, we have a number of movie posters decorating the walls of our home, thanks to Ernestine. Down that same hallway that you can see the Anchorman poster from the kitchen, 
There are actually two other of our favorite movies in poster. So we have Anchorman that you saw, we have Caddyshack, and we have Die Hard. I think you know how I feel about Die Hard. It is a great Christmas movie. I could watch for the 147th time tonight. Maybe I will. No, I don't have time. Hey, give me John McClane. Give me Sergeant Al Powell. Give me Hans Gruber. I know every line. I've told you we can look out our window and see the actual Die Hard Tower Nakatomi Plaza Tower, which is actually a Fox Tower. But Anchorman is our, Ernestine and mine, all-time favorite comedy, all-time. Because in largest part, I'm in the TV business and I have worked with several Ron Burgundies. Ron Burgundy is the essence of Will Ferrell, the essence. You know, most great comedies have, what, a, an 80% hit rate on the jokes and the gags. Anchorman is 98%, at least for us. Sex Panther, 60% of the time, it works every time. I, I just, I can't get much better than that. And by the way, Christina Applegate, God bless her, she drives and finally steals that movie as Veronica Corningstone. And also, by the way, Will Ferrell's Talladega Nights rivals Anchorman for us. But for us, Caddyshack, is the closest second to Anchorman. I may have mentioned Caddyshack before here, but it really gets golf. Golf is my passion, it's my obsession. It's my love and my hate. But you, you don't have to get golf to get Caddyshack. It's Rodney Dangerfield and Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. Big hitter, the llama. Or as he says, the llama. Bill Murray gets total consciousness. So at least he's got that going for him. And the Cinderella story scene is just all-time greatest. It is addictive madness. We watch Caddyshack, I don't know, two, three, four times a year, just when we need to get our spirits picked up. Maybe, maybe I'll try it this Friday night. And I will also tell you, if you will allow me to go a little sideways with you, Ernestine actually, as presents to me, had artwork made featuring two of my all-time favorite Westerns. These hang in our living room because they are sensational as artwork in and of themselves, regardless of what they actually represent. The first is from my all-time favorite Western. You, you probably won't know it, but it's the great Sam Peckinpah's Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, starring Chris Christopherson as the kid and James Coburn as the sheriff, Pat Garrett. I have some Old West gunfighter in me. I have some kid in me. This movie touches my soul. Ernestine loves it almost as much as I do. And by the way, if you want the all-time greatest gunfight ever put on film, try Peck and Paws The Wild Bunch. It was a legendary breakthrough. And finally, the other Western you will not know is as riveting a thriller as I have ever watched. Would you believe I first saw it at what was called the Cinema 70 drive-in in Oklahoma City the summer before my junior year in high school? It's called The Stalking Moon. 
It features an aging U.S. Army scout trying to retire, played by Gregory Peck, versus the greatest Apache warrior ever, a killing machine named Salvaje, as in Savage, who's on a mission to retrieve his white wife and his son, who are being sheltered by Gregory Peck, who's trying to retire in New Mexico. It is eerie, it is chilling, it is emotionally draining. If you started watching it, you would not be able to stop. It is hide your eyes tension to the bitter end. But again, I have some Old West in me. I have some Gregory Peck. I have some Salvaje in me. And that's why that artwork hangs on our living room wall. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is Frankie from Lawrence, Kansas. Does your hatred for the Eagles trump your love for Jalen Hurts? That is a great question. You got me. I believe I've mentioned this also before, but maybe not. I, I've despised the Philadelphia Eagles since I was 10 years old. My parents attended an Eagles exhibition game, a preseason game that was played at the University of Oklahoma. We lived in Oklahoma City, obviously. It was played at Norman. It was one of those barnstorming games that featured a former OU star who won the Maxwell Award as college football's best player. His name was Tommy McDonald. You may or may not have heard of him. He's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, made six Pro Bowls. He was a driving force of the Eagles winning the 1960 NFL championship game as a running back slash receiver of Christian McCaffrey type, except more explosive as a receiver. So my mom goes to the game. As she was wont to do, she just sort of mindlessly bought me an Eagles pennant, just because Tommy McDonald played for the Eagles and she loved Tommy McDonald. That was my mom. She didn't ask me if I wanted one. She just bought it. I don't know if they have pennants anymore, but they had them then. She comes right home that night and she walks in and she tacks it on my wall as if I would want it on my wall. That's my mom. God rest her soul. And I despised it. I despised that, that color, that erpy eagle's green. It stayed up there for two years until finally one day I just said, I don't care what she says. I'm taking it down and I'm trashing it. And I did and she didn't notice, thank God. But to me, the, the eagles were always the villains of the division versus the cowboy good guy heroes. At least that's how it came across to me, certainly as a little kid. but that's until now. This has nothing to do with the fact that Jalen Hurts did play one year for my Oklahoma Sooners. It's just because I have so much respect for this young man, this coach's kid, his father was his high school coach, who excels with his intangibles as powerfully as his tangibles. He is an all-time great leader he is a great playmaker, big game, big play playmaker, who has underrated passing skills and quarterback intellect. I tweeted the moment he was taken, stolen by the Eagles in the second round, that he's going to change life in Philadelphia, that he would instantly be better than Carson Wentz. And he was, and he has. Should be the MVP this year because of the degree of difficulty he was up against versus what Mahomes had in Kansas City. At least he did still have Travis Kelsey, greatest receiving tight end ever. 
So, yes, I am now picking Jalen Hurts. I am rooting for Jalen Hurts, despite the ugly uniform he is forced to wear. And finally, this is from Willie from New Jersey. Is the Dak jersey still in the trash? You may remember, Willie and others out there, that once upon a time, fairly early in the 2018 Dallas Cowboys season, I got so fed up with Dak after a home Monday night loss to the Tennessee Titans that dropped the Cowboys to three and five, so it was more midway through the season. I got so fed up, I marched in and I threw Dak's jersey in the trash. But they had just traded for Amari Cooper and all of a sudden, the very next week, they took off and won the division, and actually won Dak's first playoff game at home against Russell Wilson. Dak was very good in that playoff game. I thought he outplayed Russell Wilson, even though Russell had a little better QBR in that game. But the point was, in those days, I forgave and forgot quickly with Dak, so that jersey did not stay in the trash. But this time, this number four jersey remains in the trash, that has been subsequently taken out. May it rest in pieces. I'm sorry. I am done. That's it for episode 50. Thank you for listening and or watching. Thanks to Jonathan Berger and his all-pro team for making this show go. Thanks to Tyler Korn for producing. Please remember, Undisputed every weekday, 9.30 to noon Eastern, The Skip Bayless Show, every week.